Step up to a Nordic Track treadmill with iFit. iFit controls speed, incline, and decline, which means the treadmill automatically mimics the changing terrain on the screen or adjusts the speed to the trainer's cues without you having to touch a thing. Explore Nordic Track treadmills at nordictrack.com. Welcome to AMR Trains, a podcast about training and racing and endurance sports. I'm Dimity McDowell, co-founder of Another Mother Runner. Today, we've got a double feature of sorts. Our podcast today and the weekly Another Mother Runner podcast have a shared theme, running after having COVID-19. I'm about to talk to Dr. Jonathan Kim, a sports cardiologist at Emory, the team cardiologist for Georgia Tech and the Atlanta Falcons, Hawks, and Braves, and the medical director of the Peachtree Road Race. Jonathan has been a runner since sixth grade when he joined his school track team. He lives with his family, including a seven and nine-year-old in the suburbs of Atlanta. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Kim. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So before we get to the topic, tell us a little bit about yourself as a runner. Well, I, uh, as you mentioned, I've been running really since uh, middle school and got into cross-country in um, uh, junior high and high school. And I w- actually went to Emory University for my undergraduate and ran on the track team uh, for a couple seasons there. Um, and after college uh, in medical school, I went to Vanderbilt University and got into long distance running at that time. I ran my first marathon um, back in 02, the country music marathon in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, this is kind of where the story gets a little bit sour. It was always my goal to qualify for Boston. But as you guys are well aware, the time requirements are really tough, particularly for men. And for me, it was always had to be a great day for me um, speed wise. And then, of course, the biggest challenge with marathons is uh, can the biggest challenges is can your body hold up? And, and for some reason, I just uh, am a cramper. And I would always get to mile 17, 20, kind of right on pace and then kind of fall apart. Um, So I've run uh, four marathons, a couple halves, and now I'm really more focused in on kind of shorter distance. Um, So and just kind of obviously still maintaining the miles for my health. Nice. Um, So I'm curious, have you ever participated in the Peachtree Road Race or are you always working it? (laughs) That's that's another funny question. I've never run the Peachtree. So it just so turned out um, my time as an undergrad is so focused in on other things. Uh, many summers I wasn't here, so I never ran it. And then I left Atlanta for many years for the rest of my training. Uh, and then when I came back, uh, it was to build sports cardiology. Plus I was a fellow cardiology fellow and didn't really have time to, to run it. And then as I developed my connection with the Atlanta track club, it was throughout my role, um, you know, as an advisor to them for cardiac health issues. And then of course for the Peachtree road race. So I've never had a chance to run it. I've never even run the course or even actually seen the course from start to finish outside of on diagrams. Wow. Wow. We've got an important day. Cause isn't that like 50,000 runners or over 50,000? 60, largest 10 K in the world. Uh, and, uh, around 60,000 runners. Nice. Nice. Okay, so let's start with what is probably an impossible question to answer accurately, but you know, let's tell you the tough ones at the beginning. Do you have any idea how many recreational adult athletes have contracted COVID-19? Are they classified at all that way? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, Really, the numbers are kind of what you see on the news as it relates to total numbers of cases in the United States. I don't think we have any sort of estimate as it relates to 
numbers of recreational athletes, but we know recreational athletes are clearly um, uh, blended within society. And we also are, are aware, based off what our public health experts have told us, that the number 15 million or 16 million or wherever we're unfortunately at these days is uh, clearly probably an undercall and it's uh, many more individuals. So we know that there are many recreational exercisers or exercise enthusiasts out there that um, have had COVID, um, unfortunately. And um, uh, the, the challenge right now, of course, though, is without a lot of actual events going on outside of virtual races, a few events you hear about that have been conducted, but the overwhelming majority of are any sort of recreational distance race um, aren't being had right now. And so it still is a very challenging group to kind of think about as it relates to return to intense exercise. Sure, sure. And um, so the cases that you know of and see, um, do you see patients on a regular basis or are you more of a advisory role? No, so I'm a sports cardiologist and um, my day-to-day duties uh, on a weekly basis, I actually conduct a lot of research, uh, but I have three clinics uh, per week, which is a sports cardiology clinic, which are focused specifically on athletic individuals in dealing with cardiovascular issues. So certainly we've seen some recreational um, uh, endurance athletes that have come to see me specifically due to concerns of COVID and a lot from what they've read as it relates to things that I've written and guidelines for competitive athletes where they're just concerned. So I've had some exposure, but, um, but it's really, it's just begun, I think as it relates sure. to these type of individuals coming into the clinical setting. Yeah. So given your, um, you know, seeing them personally or anecdotally, because we're going to talk about your research in a little bit, but is there any pattern as far as severity of cases that you've seen? Or is, I mean, from what I understand, COVID just feels like just a wild disease. Like there's no, there's no guidelines around it. I mean, but maybe you've seen it. I don't know. Yeah, and, uh, it's a great question. You know, right now, prevalence data out in the community are uh, certainly, at least as we're, if we just focus on that, athletes are lacking uh, at present. So um, okay. from a competitive athlete standpoint, we certainly look forward to large registry data. There have been smaller observational data sets, but more larger combined registries will begin to tell us um, prevalence of not just cardiac issues downstream, but symptoms and, and how these individuals are presenting. I can tell you in my anecdotal experience in clinic, uh, certainly looking at younger competitive athletes, the majority that we're seeing are presenting with more milder uh, forms of disease, either they're asymptomatic because many of the collegiate athletes out there, certainly at the power five level are just being tested um, as a part of their public health guidelines. So we'll get a lot of asymptomatic uh, athletes and those that um, develop symptoms though, um, the majority of what I'm observing are more mild severity cases. Now for the recreational athletes that have come to see me in clinic, pretty similar actually. Most okay. presenting with uh, more mild disease, some with some more moderate symptoms. Um, you've heard about the COVID long haul that have, that's been described out there. Certainly we've seen individuals that will come in presenting um, with more long, a longer course of disease. So certainly it's, it's, it's been across the spectrum, but I'd say the majority of, of individuals that have at least come to see me in clinic have been in that mild form. And I have not seen, um, at least at the recreational level, uh, nobody who's previously been hospitalized that has, has come to see me afterwards. I haven't seen uh, cases such as that, but I'm sure across the country there have been, I mean, we've heard about some 
unfortunate tragedies of very healthy endurance type athletes um, that you've seen on the news that somehow it comes out that um, there's even been some fatalities. So we know that just because you're an athlete, you're not immune from potentially more severe forms of disease. Yeah. Did you happen to see that 60 minute story? Uh, a couple, it was like right after, right around Thanksgiving, it had a, uh, it was about long haulers and um, there were two, one is a personal trainer that looks, you know, as fit as the day is long. And one was um, a marathoner who had run the New York city marathon and was training for Berlin when she got hit in both of them. I mean, it just, it just shocked me how rough their lives are right now. And, and so I guess you just said it like being fit does not necessarily give you a pass to the easier side of the disease if you happen to have it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I remember seeing ads for that 60 minutes. I missed that particular episode, but I know the episode that you referred to. And yeah, that's one of the, the frustrating challenges with well, the many with COVID is, is there's kind of no rhyme or reason. And, you know, then you'll hear of other cases of folks who are not healthy and fit into some of the high risk categories that we're aware of, we're aware of and they have mild forms of disease. Um, and then there's some folks that um, who are very healthy and have either long haul or they get sicker. I think in general, if you look, uh, if you're going to come up with a more generalized statement, it is true that if you're younger, if you're healthier, you're more likely to have a mild form of, of, of illness, but clearly it's not a guarantee. And that's one of the reasons why uh, one of the biggest take-home points I think that should come from this is listen to the public health experts. I suspect much your audience um, probably uh, aligns with that. Um, but the masking and the social distancing and taking nothing for granted as it relates to, to this uh, illness, you do not want to have COVID. There's no doubt about it. Sure, sure. Well, so what symptoms of COVID-19 are particularly concerning for, for runners and other endurance athletes? Yeah, so um, number one, one thing to I think emphasize is once you are known to be infected with COVID, it's really important to rest. Um, so we know there are recommendations from CDC about self-isolation. Um, and so clearly you need to self-isolate, but even beyond that, um, really take that time to rest and allow the, the illness to, to pass and allow that time point of recovery. We know that stereotypically many endurance athletes tend to run through their colds. It's a, it's a, it's a of course, it's, it's humorous. Um, certainly it's, it's a very common stereotype. What's the best way to get over a cold or a flu? Um, get out there and run. Um, and that's not the way you want to approach COVID. It's just, it's novel. And there's many facets of this illness that we don't know of. So I think um, this is the one illness for sure. I mean, I would recommend for any viral illness that you, you take days off and let yourself recover. But even with COVID, once you feel better, you really want to use those 10 days as a time to get yourself fully recovered. Um, and then the majority of folks, I think, will, will be okay to start building on their training on their own gradually. And so then to answer your question about the symptoms, what you're really looking for are symptoms that could be indicative of a cardiovascular issue. And so these are gonna be cardiac specific complaints. And some of these are gonna sound very obvious and intuitive, but it's important to review. So chest tightness, a chest pressure when you exert yourself, that only goes away uh, when you rest and catch your breath, that's concerning. Um, feeling excessively short of breath is concerning. And so there's this terminology that we use called exercise intolerance. And that's important as well, meaning once you start advancing yourself, you're gonna be deconditioned because you've taken 10 days off. We know that uh, you lose a lot of aerobic conditioning very quickly. So that's normal. But as you start building that conditioning, if you hit a wall, 
that you, for some reason, you just can't get past it. And it's alarming to the point where, why am I not getting my conditioning? It's been several days. I've been gradual, but I just can't get past this threshold, which is far below where I should be. That's termed exercise intolerance. And that is another symptom that you would be weary of. And then again, some of the more intuitive symptoms, if you're getting lightheaded, dizzy, clearly if you pass out or faint during exercise, if you feel your heart racing inappropriately, skipping beats, flutterings in the chest, those are symptoms that certainly should raise a flag uh, and to where then you seek uh, medical assistance if you note those symptoms. And again, we know with COVID, shortness of breath and chest tightness are actually symptoms of the virus. And so if you have that during the illness, that again, just emphasizes the point that don't do anything while you're ill with those symptoms. Those are at least moderate degree symptoms. That's the warning that you need to rest, recover. You don't, you don't want to spread the virus to others, number one, but give that time to let your, your body heal and recover before you start getting out there and trying to do more exercise. Sure, sure. Well, and the uh, recommendations that you are giving us right now um, kind of are part of the American College of Cardiology Sports and Exercise Guidelines. You were the lead author on that, um, those recommendations that came out in October. I think the revised ones came out, correct? That's correct. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, getting back to sport for high school athletes, recreational adult athletes, and adult athletes in competitive sports. So are those, I'm just curious, are adult athletes in competitive sports, are those the NBAs and NFLs of the world? Or like, where's the line between recreational and competitive sports, would you say? <laughs> yeah, no, and you could argue that there's a gray line, because I would submit that if you are a competitive marathon runner, that's qualifying for Boston and running 50 miles a week, that that intense degree of training is pretty much on par with a competitive athlete. But for sure, the competitive athlete was, is, was geared for those involved with some of the organizations that you uh, discussed. Mm -hmm. And uh, the recreational athlete being, again, not the sanctioned competitive athlete. And where that line falls, certainly, I think um, uh, you can have a recreational level athlete that um, may be on the level of training uh, consistent with a competitive athlete. But when we talk about cardiac risk stratification, there's two things. Number one, there's a healthcare resource question. Um, and when you're involved with sanctioned athletics uh, and competition at that level, for sure you wanna be in consideration of some of the testing that we recommend. Uh, there are a lot of recreational athletes that are in the United States and worldwide, and it's not feasible for the healthcare resources um, to handle echocardiograms, EKGs, blood tests on every single recreational athlete out there. Um, and I would submit that the majority of even the highest level athlete probably doesn't require that degree of testing. And it really probably just only requires a slow return to exercise and monitoring of symptoms. There can certainly be individuals where perhaps you would consider some of the more um, uh, testing and the risk stratification that, that we discuss. Um, but even then, it may first just require a conversation with uh, your physician. Now, sure. many recreational athletes have cardiologists because we know that as master level athletes are not immune from cardiac risk or even cardiac disease. And so you may have a cardiologist and that may be clearly a time that you wanna reach out to that cardiologist if they're a sports cardiologist or a general cardiologist and have that discussion about what needs to happen before getting back to exercise. But we don't necessarily know if that means that you need this sure. testing. The document that we put forth, um, a lot of it was leveraged off our experience. 
And so by the time we wrote these recommendations, we were seeing a lot of these competitive athletes because we know the lockdown lifted. Many of these athletes were coming to our clinics to get cleared to play. And so we based these consensus recommendations on what we were seeing. It was an opinion-based mm. document. Uh, as we just talked about and alluded to, many recreational athletes, um, sure, they're still exercising, but they're not training because many of these events have, again, they're still on hold. And so there's a lot of unknown, similar to the first guidelines that we wrote, which were purely all opinion-based because we had no experience. I think uh, what we're going to see with recreational athletes come back and, and symptoms or what we're seeing, the story is just beginning to be written, I think. Sure, sure. And so what, I mean, so going back to what you said, those 10 days, is that after you're symptom free, you're looking to take 10 days off um, and then 10 to 14 days and then kind of come back slowly or like, tell me, you know, if I have mild to moderate symptoms and I feel good on a Friday, am I waiting two weeks, like two weeks from that Friday to go out for a run? Well, really what we wanted to align things pretty similarly to the CDC guidelines. So clearly you know, you're going to have that 10 day isolation, which is going to be based off of either a positive test or when you start having symptoms. And those, of course, were based more on going back to work. So you needed to have symptom uh, improvement, no fever for 24 hours. And then 10 days after your symptoms started, if all of that um, had uh, been um, accomplished, then you could go back to work. Or if, the, or again, if it was, you were asymptomatic, it was just based off a test, you would base it off the, the positive test. For exercise, we want to see, or I would recommend that your symptoms really should be, um, for the most part, resolved. Now, some of these symptoms are a little bit more persistent. I think what we've observed are, for instance, loss of taste or smell. Some of those symptoms can last for, for even more than 10 days, but many of the initial symptoms may be improved. And so there's probably some room there to start doing a little bit more once you're out of that 10-day window. Ideally, though, I think before you get back to the full intense levels of training for a recreational athlete, you really want your symptoms to be gone. Um, so I think it's probably um, fair to say that you don't have to wait 10 days uh, after full symptom resolution, because that could extend on to three weeks for some people. Um, but you for sure want to finish that self-isolation. You want to see symptom improvement and, uh, and you want to have that uh, slow time, and gradual return to training um, as you kind of track yourself. Sure. Whatever your reason for running indoors, whether parenting duties, safety, or convenience, you owe it to yourself to get a Nordic Track treadmill with iFit Interactive Connected Technology. It's a game changer. With a huge touchscreen, iFit transports you to an energetic studio workout class or stunning locations filmed in more than 40 countries across all seven continents iFit offers up thousands of on-demand workouts from walking and hiking excursions up to speed building intervals and everything in between. There are even yoga boot camp and cross training sessions that will have you hopping off the treadmill. As I await delivery of my Nordic Track treadmill with iFit technology, I'm living vicariously through other mother runners who are already putting in miles on theirs, like Pam Harris, who was a guest on last week's show. Pam wrote in an email, I love using the iFit workouts on my Nordic Track treadmill to travel out of my house. I'm a beach girl stuck far from the ocean, so my favorite runs always involve the water, like today's four-miler along the coast of Santa Cruz, California. I also enjoy walking and hiking tours that take me to faraway locales. I've been traversing New England with trainers Jed Brophy and Graham McTavish, and I adore both the scenery and the guys' banter. Working from home, I sweet-talk my dad into making me a treadmill desk, and I walk and work for an hour or so several days a week. 
as Pam details, the possibilities on a Nordic track are endless. To see what she and I are talking about, head to nordictrack.com. That's N-O-R-D-I-C-T-R-A-C-K.com. See where you can go with Nordic Track Treadmill with iFit. So um, doing some research for this, I saw that, um, you know, basically you're coming back, recommendations are to come back at like 50% of your normal intensity and workload. And then if, if you're symptom free after that week, then you can add like 10%, 10%. So you're back at 100% after about five weeks. Does that sound pretty smart to you? That certainly sounds like a very conservative return to play. And I think anything conservative is always safest, right? The reality is, is that we don't know. I mean, a lot of this is, uh, uh, you know, similar to even the recommendations about the, the testing that we put forth, we submit. Those were opinion and consensus recommendations. So if you're a competitive sanctioned athlete, clearly this is where you rely on your trainers to kind of build on to um, what you start with or, uh, or build on um, those first few days as you start building back that return to play and, and almost individualizing it for individual athletes based on their baseline level of conditioning, what type of sport they play, et cetera. If you're doing it on your own, um, again, you have to be transparent. I don't think there's a, uh, a, a, a magic formula on the best way to do it. Sure. I think the recommendations that you put forth, clearly that's conservative. That's a five week return to play. That may be more than you need. Um, but I think it's, I think each athlete is going to can gauge exactly how they're feeling as they introduce, um, certain percentages of their aerobic baseline back uh, after each day or couple days as they build up their, uh, you know, their aerobic conditioning. Totally. I know you're a cardiologist, but I'm just curious, is there any, do you see any difference just um, based on what you know between like coming back and doing say a four miler versus doing 30 minutes of strength training, like with your body weight, like, is there one that's preferred over the other or is it, is it really not a difference? Yeah, I mean, again, a great question. I don't know if there, we can answer that specifically about uh, about how one feels returning from COVID based on those degrees, that type of training. I think the same principles you would want to, for the most part, hold true. If you're more a resistance-based athlete, you're going to still have that gradual return and approach it in a similar manner as if you're a primary dynamic um, slash endurance type athlete. Okay. Nice. And again, nice. remember, you know, if you had an asymptomatic case of COVID, I do think it's fair to say that your return can probably be a little bit more um, expedited, if you will, than depending on what your burden of symptoms were. So I also think it just depends on the degree of illness. Um, and each athlete is going to know their body well. I, I just recommend that um, this should not be a, you get better and within 48 hours, you're just back to doing what you were pre-COVID. You want to at least extend that a few days. And, and you know, at the elite um, sanctioned athletic level, some of these return to play algorithms can be five days, seven days. Um, and so again, I think it's, it can be different for different people, uh, but really driven, I think, by who you were as an athlete beforehand, what your baseline level of conditioning was, how you feel, um, and how you progress over those first few days. Nice, nice. And just to reiterate, you would have medical supervision if you're starting, if you've had, if you had medical supervision during your case of COVID, or if you're feeling like the chest tightness, the shortness of breath that feels completely out of place, right? That's when you're going to want to turn to your doctor. Is that correct? Sure. I, I think um, 
for those individuals who have a primary cardiologist, they were already being cared for, I would reach out, particularly for those who are engaged in high levels of activity. I want to be clear, though, that for most individuals, individuals, even those who are engaged in normal guideline-based recommendations for physical activity, you probably don't even need to reach out to your doctor. If you're engaged in 150 minutes a week of exercise, this may include some listeners who are engaged in running the occasional 5K or even 10K, you probably don't need to, even if you had some more symptoms that were consistent with um, uh, some of the you know, symptoms that we discussed, such as a little shortness of breath or some chest tightness or fever for a couple of days, you probably don't need to reach out to your doctor. You just want to be sure, though, that you recognize that you had some of these more higher level symptoms and you want to be very cautious as you get back to exercise. We don't want to have every single individual calling their doctor up just to get back to regular levels of exercise. I don't think that's necessary. But to your point, if you have underlying conditions, if you're older, if you certainly have underlying cardiac conditions that are cared for by a physician, you may want to reach out to your, to your doctor if you had some of those more concerning symptoms. And it may be that you still don't need cardiac testing. I, I don't want that to be the message that's taken from this podcast. Um, I think the clear message, though, is to have that very kind of gradual return to full exercise. Um, uh, that's the key message. Nice. You've been super helpful, Dr. Kim. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for your time and your expertise. And I hope that the Peachtree Road Race will be a go next spring, right? We'll keep our fingers crossed. You know, there's a lot of uh, hurdles that we still have to, to get through. We have that light at the end of the tunnel with these uh, vaccines, but we still have a long way to go in terms of where we're at from viral spread to getting the vaccine to everyone to promoting vaccination to your listeners. I am not a public health specialist, of course, but I can promise you uh, I will hopefully be one of the first people online. Um, uh, well, I'm a healthcare provider, so I, I will obviously be one of the ones that um, is uh, given first opportunity to get vaccinated, and I will be one of the first ones in line. So please get vaccinated. Um, the FDA's rigor is very thorough as it relates to safety, and we should all feel co have confidence uh, and feel safe to get this vaccine. So please get vaccinated. Will do. Thank you, Dr. Kim, and happy holidays. Happy holidays. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Nice work. That was great. Thank you very much for your time and expertise. Of course. I hope I didn't put too many words in your mouth. I just wanted to kind of make it clear when to see a doctor. I think it's super smart to not. Yeah, no, I think that, that's the, the key message for with. sure to take from this. I, I do, and I think I'm pretty sure I made it clear, but um, what I didn't want is for people to start saying, oh my gosh, I need to see a cardiologist to get all this testing. That's definitely not the message that we want. We want to have that fine balance between people respecting the virus to, yeah, if you have some of these things, um, certainly underlying cardiac conditions, or if you're really sick with it, you want to reach out. Um, but most people probably don't need that. It's just that kind of responsible return to training, which is tough. I mean, that's a tough message, as you well know, to pass on to this community. Yeah. And I yeah. can tell you, I've had a couple of patients in clinic, you know, who didn't know any better just because not all of these type informative series are out there. And they just kind of treated it like uh, the, the cold and they were get it, you know, trying to get out there and doing all sorts of stuff that they probably shouldn't have been. Sure. Um, and not to say that because they did that is why they ended up, you know, rolling into my clinic, <laughs> but that that's the danger. And I think that's what we are trying to educate and have people not do uh, and to really respect this virus. Totally. Totally. Yeah. 
Awesome. I appreciate it. Stuff when it's ready. And um, yeah, take, take care and um, have a great rest of your day. Absolutely. Happy holidays, guys. <laughs>